This is Caroline with Daily Review. And this is Paul with Daily Review. And this is Mike from Pop Culture Review. And this is the Outsider Podcast. Tonight we're talking about Episode 7, In the Pines, In the Pines. It was a teleplay by Dennis Lehane and directed by Dana Reed. Do you guys know why Dennis Lehane is an interesting choice to direct this episode? I don't tell. He directed eight of the Mr. Mercedes episodes, a show based on the Stephen King, Bill Hodges uh, series of novels that gives us Holly Gibney that airs on Audience Network. He did eight, He directed eight of their 30 episodes. So I did not know that. I, I did not know that either until I saw the name. I was like, that sounds familiar to me. I did a little digging and there you go. So uh, yeah, he is a Stephen Kingophile, I guess. I guess he is Stephen King approved. Do you guys know what the title meant? I've been thinking about it all day, and I could not think. I, I could. I, I could. I, I don't remember hearing it, and it sounded very playful for a show like The Outsider. So no, I, I couldn't come up on anything. The stuff that I found was that it's part of a Nirvana song that was a cover that they did that was actually titled "Where Did You Sleep Last Night," and it's like a ballad about a murder. And it's part of the lyrics. And then also, um, I saw on a different thing that this one just makes me laugh, that um, people in New Jersey were talking on Facebook, and they said that in their lore, the New Jersey devil lives in the pines. So <laughs> I thought that was extra funny. Uh, I thought you were going to make a Sopranos reference. Uh, that's Mob where, stuff know. too, though, right? Because they say, like, you're going to, like, they're going to oh, yeah. I mean, sort of, of like sleep with the fishes, but... I guess yeah. if they bring you to the Pines, nothing good's going to happen there either. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of bad stuff always happened on the Sopranos when they would go into the Pine Forest of New Jersey. Not a happy place. <laughs> Which is sad. I don't think a Pine Forest is a bad place. Do y'all? Do you guys associate it with a scary place? No. Well, now I do. Now El I Cucos, do. mostly. <laughs> El Cucos land. I think that Nirvana song you're talking about, when you said the name of it, I'm pretty sure that's actually from their Unplugged album. I'd have to look at the lyrics, but I can definitely hear Kurt Cobain's straining voice uh, from the Unplugged. I think that's where they perform that. You're right. It is. Yeah. I was listening to it before I started talking with y'all. Probably my favorite Nirvana album, actually, as it turns out. What did you guys think of this one? Coming off of last week's ex- exposition-heavy Holly episode, what did we think of this episode and the way it resolved the Holly-Jack thing, or if it's resolved, and, and kind of where the story went? I thought the stuff with Holly and Jack was the high point of the show and created a lot of tension, a lot of suspense, and uh, will she get away? Because for book readers, this is all new territory, and so... You don't know <laughs> if, what's, if he's going to get her to the barn. It's only later that you find out that he's not even heading to the barn. But the whole time you're thinking, is she going to get away? The business with Ralph still being the scully of the group and the Glory story. I mean, I guess we got to keep up with Glory, but those parts didn't sing quite as much as the Holly and Jack stuff. I definitely thought it was scary. As a woman, the whole idea that she allowed somebody who she then realizes is is a potential murderer and definitely somebody who is going to hurt her was very scary. I was thinking the entire time, like, how is she going to get out of this? And she was with him for, I don't know, three quarters of the episode, yeah. um, if not more. And I didn't really know how she was going to get out of this sitch. I super appreciated, though, this quote that I saw. It was from Kimberly Ricci from uh, Uproxx 
article and uh I, this is it's just funny because she just really encapsulated how i felt she said i kind of love that she got away from jack by faking her period because el cuco didn't know how to cope with that maneuver controlling people's minds and inflicting apparitions on them no problem for the boogeyman but dealing with the prospect of female hormones el cuco is out of there <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think that is a universally great move to use on any man. I, almost any guy, at least in TV and movie tropes, is always going to be like, uh, go do whatever you have to do. As soon as you say period or anflow or whatever the euphemism is that you're going to use, I think it's standard TV trope that the guy is going to be like, uh, okay, even if you are possessed by the boogeyman. You know? <laughs> I thought it was like kind of, kind of, I don't, I don't know, I guess... I, you guys will have to speak to this. If if I'm already in a situation where I say I don't give a crap if you pee your pants or if you like poop the seat or whatever's going to happen, then just because you're telling me that this is a different fluid coming out of your body, I don't know that you're like exactly going to change my mind. Like if I've already said I don't care, pee your pants, then uh, I, I don't know. I guess I, I don't know. I was kind of a little surprised that it worked. Men are scared of women in a lot of ways. And the fact that you bleed, <laughs> the fact that you bleed on a regular basis and it's totally cool and doesn't require a hospital visit, like a guy bleeds and like he's going to be a whiny little bitch about it. Women just do it on the regs for like 40 plus years. Like that, there's something supernatural uh, about that uh, from, you know, the guy's point of view. So yeah, El Cuco, <laughs> El Cuco can't even begin, you know, El Cuco and Pennywise are hanging out going, I don't know. I don't know. I guess you let her go. I guess. I don't know. I, don't I get, know right. It's funny that, that the boogeyman himself would be like, you know what? This is a situation I can't handle. I, I would like to say that in terms of all of the, all of the stranger danger things I've been taught, the don't go to the second location and everything. I was super proud of Holly for figuring out some way to deal with the situation that got her out of there. And additionally, that whole concept of like body fluid, my mom has actually taught me that like if I was going to be grabbed or anything, you do try to like pee or barf or do some, make yourself barf, whatever, because that like scares a man away. I think that's like crazy, but it's true. Apparently bodily fluid is enough to, to wig them out. So if you're going to be a successful uh, uh, abductor or rapist, you really right. need to get used to body fluids in a in a much more serious way. I heard a comic years ago, and this stuck with me, uh, got at least the last 20 plus years, talking about how he always has split pea soup in a thermos in his car with him, uh, especially on any kind of long road trips. Because if he ever gets pulled over by a cop, he is prepared to throw it on himself and all around the car and blame just being totally sick for whatever the infraction is he's being pulled over for. Uh, just, you know, I couldn't help it, officer. You know, that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah. So bodily fluids does it, huh? It freaks it's everybody out. For the win. For the win. That's funny. That's funny. What did you guys think about the conversation that they had in the car on the way? Because there were several different parts to it. Did, were there any parts that stuck out to you guys? All the stuff before El Cuco started exercising control over Jack, I thought was interesting because that was what remains of Jack Hoskins trying to be a person. And so I thought all that stuff was interesting to, to see that Holly was, even though the guy is abrasive and a jackass, she was earnestly going to fight for even just that little bit that's left of him. That part of it was the more interesting part for me. I think it was the most enlightening we've had of who Jack really is. Because remember, other than the first scene where he gets called back to work and it ruins his hunt, we haven't really ever seen Jack not affected. And in the few minutes that he's in a barn before he gets scratched and uh, and at the, the strip joint, we haven't really seen Jack 
without this affliction. So we don't really know who he was or what his backstory is outside of El Cuco's influence. So I thought it was actually a really stripped down kind of pleading for him. And it, it actually really changed my entire theory on why he didn't stop Holly last week, why he defended her, why he let her go on and give her presentation. You know, I thought he was setting her up when she said that no one was going to believe her, that he decided that he was going to try and stop her that way by letting her dig her own hole, like dig her own grave with a crazy story. Right. This this episode changed that completely for me. And it seems that he genuinely wanted, he says, he's like, I was hoping you could give me so much more information about what I'm going through than I had hoped that you'd be able to give me so much more information about what I'm going through than you actually did. And he just seemed so pleading and and kind of pathetic before El Cuco exercised his will. I, this is the first time I felt any kind of sympathy. And I felt actually really sympathetic towards Jack in this episode, which I think makes him more, uh, more compelling, interesting character. For sure, when Holly is having to answer why does El Cuco choose Jack, I felt like the entire conversation that Tamika had with Jack sprung to mind when she was listing off what is it Jack is it is it your health is it the divorce is it your parents like what are the things like she knew his wounds you know and she listed them off and Holly said you know I don't know what are the things that that make you so sad but it's clear to me that you are but as audience members we know the things that that really upset him throughout his whole life so I felt like that that was a really good extra note there they actually did layer it in earlier in the story why Jack is the way he is. I thought it was interesting that, uh, and I think Paul hit on this a little bit, about Holly and the way she was interacting with him. You know, she very easily could have been placating him, saying, you know, telling him, trying to speak to the Jack that's inside and not the El Cuco, trying to say, you know, I'm trying to help you here, you know, and, and really being sincere about it in the car. And that could have easily just been a ploy, you know, to try and get out of the thing alive. But back then later on, you know, we cut to her at Ralph's house and she's still talking about Jack as the victim. You know, she's still being very empathetic to the man separate from what he's being put through by El Cuco. You know, again, I think with Holly, too, I think it's just another feather in her cap that she has this empathy for this guy who was going to probably or it seems do something very horrible to her to still be defending him and seeing him as a victim in this all this, just like she sees Tracy Powell. I wanted to get your guys' opinion on this about why, because I have a theory about why he left the phones on for as long as he did. Because, I, I mean, I, I think we've all seen enough crime shows to know pinging, pinging the towers and pinging cell phone locations is something that the cops are going to do right away. Yet he leaves both phones on and lets them continue to ring incessantly. Did you guys have a, a feeling why he did that? Was it just he was absent-minded about it? Or, or did you think there was something uh, another reason why he did that? Originally, Carolyn and I talked about this offline, that I thought that he was taking her to uh, the woods, in, in obviously the woods, but I mean the spot where he dumped off the provisions and the lamps and all that stuff. Uh, that was my original thinking, but now I'm thinking, in a way, perhaps he was giving everyone else a chance to catch him, right? Because mm -hmm. El Cuco's influence had, uh, it was there, but it was it was lessened. And so if one thing led to another and he was caught, then, you know, what else could he do? But, you know, not have to kill this poor woman 
So maybe that's it, you know, by, by going so far astray in the car and leaving the phones on, maybe he thought he was giving everybody a chance to catch up. That makes sense to me that like as a, as an officer, he would know that that was like basically leaving breadcrumbs and someone would know what direction they headed. And I, I mean, I, you could tell he was conflicted about letting the phones be on, you know, when it would ring, he would, he would be annoyed and, and recognize what was happening but he didn't like immediately turn them off or anything. So it seemed like a little like he wanted to maybe save Holly. Uh, or save Holly or or the the more desperate, I, I think, take on that is that, you know, we see him try and eat a bullet in the woods later and he can't, presumably probably because El Cuco is preventing him from doing it. And we know from his conversation with Holly that he has read up on the Tracy Powell file, knowing that he died by, you know, suicide by cop style with the snipers. Yeah. Um, so my, my take on it was that one, I think he, de- he actually wanted to talk to Holly about what he was going through. I think he, you know, wanted a little one on one therapy time to try and figure out if there was an answer that maybe she had some more insight about why he was going through this, why he was chosen. But I think it was to try and put himself down. He knew as a last ditch me- measure, if he tried to kill himself, it wasn't going to be able to happen. So I, I think this was maybe an Im- him trying to, like Paul said, get everyone to catch up with him and have a kind of final confrontation about it. You know, I don't think Jack wants to continue living like this. I think he's very close to already where Tracy Powell was. And, you know, that's why I, I think Tracy probably had to go out the way he did. You know, he had to be killed because he couldn't kill himself. I thought it was interesting that when Holly asked, you know, what is it that El Cuco has had you been be doing? And he said, oh, some shopping and, you know, getting him some food and doing some spying and stuff. I thought it was cool in the sense of I like it when people just be honest and the information goes from one character to the next. And he doesn't he doesn't try to be tricky about it. He just says what it is. I actually really liked that. Like, I liked that Holly was getting all of the information accurately, finally. Did you guys think it was interesting that Alec picked up on that Jack uh, vibing towards Holly at the the Brain Trust meeting, which would have been the night before this episode took place? And and then it continued in the car that Jack generally does seem interested in Holly and didn't want to hide anything from her along. I think the same thing you're saying struck with me, too. He was being really honest with her. He wasn't trying to hide or obfuscate or work an angle. I think he was trying to be very all cards on the table, you know, very nothing to lose with her in the car. I think I, I verbally said out loud, I like Alec <laughs> when he lot, was on when he was on the phone and he was like, you know, Jack and Holly and he's not answering his phone and she's not answering her phone, want to meet at his place? And I was like, Alec, you are my favorite, favorite, favorite. And I swear to God, every move he would make when he's like, are we picking this lock when they're at Jack's house? And he like goes in, then he's like, you know, uh, opening the car door. I'm like, I, I literally out loud, I'm like, being a PI is awesome. Like, yeah. I was like, I was like, I love this. I love that he's continuing to search. I love that he is smart and curious and looking in the right places and all that. Were you guys worried that in any way Jack's house would be cleaned up as to basically stop the concern trail? Didn't really occur to me that it would have been cleaned up. I think it kind of all kind of happened so fast. It didn't really occur to me that it would be cleaned up because they were there and then they were in the house and then we saw the blood was still there with the handprint on the wall. So, no, it didn't, but because I think I just didn't have time really to think about it. When you look at the job that he did on his own face. Which was bad. (laughs) With like gray makeup, <laughs> whatever that was, 
Um, yeah. It was woman's like concealer that was left in his cabinet, which you guys is like a pretty good sign of heartache, right? He didn't even get rid of his ex-wife's makeup that was in the cabinet. It was still in there. I was worried. I said out loud when they were picking the lock, I was like, please let it still be a mess. Please let it still be a mess. Because some part of me thought, I don't know how, but the El Cuco part of the whole thing would like send them into some sort of cleaning fury that would somehow erase the evidence. Because... Although, although that is a bad guess, because when I think about it, El Cuco doesn't really give a shit about evidence being left behind, right? Yeah. I mean, he left the clothes in the barn. He doesn't really yeah. care. Yeah. Right? El, Cuco, El Cuco seems to be really single, single-minded focus. Like, beat up Jack to the point of where he has to wear women's makeup to conceal the injuries to go out in public. So El Cuco didn't really think that through. What would this guy look like out in public? He just wanted him to do what he wanted him to do. You know, he yeah. didn't have him clean up his shit beforehand. He didn't pick up the fact that he was driving two hours in the wrong direction of the barn. You know, like El Cuco is, is you know, involved when he wants to be and very absentee landlord when he doesn't want to be. So let's talk about that for a second. So the fact that it turned out that they were going two hours in the opposite direction of the barn who do we think originally thought they were going to the barn? And was Jack always not going to the barn? And did El Cuco want him to go to the barn? Or was taking her out to the woods and killing her elsewhere always the plan? Well, it was the previous episode where they said something about going to the barn. Well, Jack says to her, I, I, I want to, you know, I'm going to take you out to the barn, right? Like show you the barn? To show you something that no one else has shown you to give you, you know, yeah. he's trying to clear because no one else had been out to the barn like he had. So that was his carrot to her. So, but was that El Cuco's carrot? Did El Cuco want Jack to take her to the barn? Or did El Cuco just want her eliminated? And Jack was thinking, I'll say I'm taking her to the barn. She doesn't know where the hell the barn is. But I'm really going to take her out to the pines where no one can find her body. And I'm going to kill her out there. Choice B. Choice B? Yeah. Okay. Choice, so it's not that Jack you. went against El Cuco's wishes in that case. Yeah. To, to use Yoon's phrase from tonight, uh, tonight's episode, I think... Uh, El Cuco just wanted her off the board. I don't yes. think, again, I, I don't think he's a big details guy. I think he just wants, he tells his, <laughs> his underling to get it done. He's very Michael Scott in it, and, you know, and then, you know, Jack is the Dwight Schrute who has to go, you know, take care of the details and get it done. We, we talked about it a little bit already, but I wanted to, I want to get to Ralph because this Ralph bullshit is, I think, got to, you know, critical, uh, proportions tonight. Uh, with his Doubting Thomas act. And what did you guys think about him being smacked down by everyone? Alec, Yoon, his wife, Holly. Holly with that fantastic, nah! You know, <laughs> what, what was your guys' take on it? And that he still is only still wrestling. What, what was your take on Ralph's journey tonight with uh, getting on board with the Supernatural train? I'm going to add even the therapist was like, when he, when he goes out to the therapist, and the therapist is even like... You're acting like a clown, you know, like, I mean, every, like everybody in his life said, said something to him. Yeah. The therapist annoyed me though, because of his voodoo hospital, uh, voodoo comment, hospital. like, you know, like he, he was, I, I put the therapist in the Howie box of, you know, doesn't believe this just thinks Ralph is dropping a ball, but you know, is too, is too high and mighty to, to think that there's, you know, some unexplainable, explainable reason for it. How he, how he so, annoyed me tonight. But yeah, but I was curious what you guys thought about his constant smackdown and how it, how it seemed to affect him. To me, I think that they did a really good job of layering these people and their motivation. So Yoon, we knew from him crossing himself, doing the sign of the cross during Holly's explanation 
from him saying things like dreams have meaning, we knew that he was already on board on some level and that he had his, his concerns. So his seemed very founded. We knew Jeannie's reasons for feeling like, you know, the hell, like there was someone in my house and you don't believe me. For me, bar none, Holly's was the best because for fuck's sake, because he didn't bother to share all the information. She just got back from a kidnapping for Christ's sake. You know, she just got shot at. All these things happened because she didn't even know that there was like more information to be given. So yeah, I mean, he absolutely deserved it and honestly could have used even more in my opinion. Like we've discussed previously, he's, for one reason or another, he's able to blow off his wife's input on this whole thing to some degree like for instance taking the pictures and putting them away she laid a pretty good wifely smackdown on him about about you know getting out of the way or whatever but really it was holly i mean genie's um demeanor was kind of annoyed whereas holly's was actual like like seething anger <laughs> like she could have caused him some sort of physical harm if she hadn't had more control or hadn't had less control and coming from someone like holly i think that says a lot and i think ralph registered that this is not a hot-headed woman this is not a woman easily prone to outbursts in his limited interaction with her right have you guys have either of you guys ever been in a situation where someone is chasing you, even as a kid, where you are pretty legitimately scared, whether it's like an older neighborhood kid or a sibling or whatever, but someone's chasing you and you're actually scared. Have any have any of you guys had that happen? There was a rash in my public uh, school when I was in like third and fourth grade of kids being swirlied at the urinal. So there was a time when going to the bathroom at school always held a trepidation that you were going to be pushed into the urinal and flushed on and i i have a clear memory some 30 plus years later of looking over my shoulder constantly those like two school years because of worry and like the anxiety and like bile in my throat from it because it was like the ultimate humiliation you come out you just be soaking wet from head to toe you know well from a little bit above your privates down like your pants kind of thing wet it was really anxiety-inducing, and it was very much – it was the closest I ever felt to being bullied on a regular basis. I know it's kind of a weird example, but the anxiety like, – I can still today feel the anxiety that I felt when I was eight and nine. Have you ever felt like that, Paul? Have you ever been, like, chased or in that sense of, like, trying to get away? No. Yeah. You have no brothers, huh? No. So I definitely have. I don't know if it's just a girl thing or whatever, I went to but school I with definitely – you went to school with humans. I definitely have. And um, when I was like in middle school, uh, the house that we lived in, the uh, previous owner had committed suicide in the garage. And the way that we would get the laundry and stuff was all in the basement. And so you'd have to turn off the light at the bottom of the basement and then get up the stairs. <laughs> and the adrenaline that pumps when you're running from something that is like that unseen scariness, I can absolutely relate to Holly. And if I had to do that and was legitimately scared that like someone was actually chasing me just as she had just gone through. Like she had to smash glass and run and do all those things. 
And then I found out that someone could have given me any amount of information and they were withholding stuff. I would have lost my shit. Like my adrenaline would have come racing to the surface. So I give her a ton of credit for even staying remotely cool. Although I, her nah was perfection. It like, was perfection. I loved it. Loved it. The only thing better was if we had seen it on screen. It was a nah off screen, which was still <laughs> great. But I would love to have seen her face making that. Uh, I, I, I want to circle back to something that Paul mentioned because I'm not sure I agree with it. I want to I want to get I want to delve into it a little bit. Do we think again it had Alec? calling him on his bullshit, telling him, uh, you know, that he's still not believing. You have Yoon telling him the difference between me and you is that uh, you want it to make sense and I just want it to be over. Uh, and then you have the genie and then you have Holly. And then before you have genie and Holly, you have fucking Andy showing up out of nowhere, which we need to talk about and telling <laughs> him, uh, you know, I've been looking into this. It's not, I'm a fucking mall security guy. Not that he says that. And I, you know, like, you got to give her some credence. Like, she, she's on to something here. Do you think it was really the Holly genie combination that convinced him to then go seek out his therapist and work through it a little bit? Because I, I don't think it was. I think it was Alec and Yoon. I think he's extremely dismissive of the women in his life uh, in a way that makes me dislike him. Um, but I think it was these professional brothers in arms, uh, Alec and Yoon, that really actually got through to him. And I was curious what you guys thought about that. I'm going to go with a completely other thing that is not something you mentioned. Right before he decides to go to the therapist, he actually goes out by the trash area and that chair is sitting there and he decides to be so bold as to sit on the chair and he's sitting there and his eyes get like wider and it's clear to me as like somebody who is like has like that empath side of me that he is getting the heebie-jeebies from sitting in the chair and that that moment to me is the motivation that actually makes him call the therapist and say like i have an emergency because hmm. for fuck's sake i would never sit in that chair so because I because I would be so scared of it. And so the fact that he was he just like decided to like kind of like do the bloody mary like look in the look in the you know mirror and turn out the lights and do that like he was going to actually try to face it and then he sat in it and his face gets like like his eyes get bigger and bigger. It's like mhm. See, there was boogity juice on that. There was boogity juice on that. Why was it he sitting in that butt. chair? Why was because he giving her he such why was he giving her such a hard time about getting rid of the goddamn chair? He was a real because asshole. Because he didn't believe that. it. Because he was didn't believe juice it. On it. We had, unless, we talked about this last week. Unless he's jacking off at the table, the, uh, the infrared, the, the black light camera showed the bookity juice. What, yeah, but he didn't believe it. He oh. didn't believe it. I saw someone on, on uh, Twitter goes, uh, they were kind of a little complaining about how slow they thought the episode was. And I did not agree with them because I thought this was a really like suspense building thing. And so there's times when you can't have things happening. Like you're driving in the car and Holly's just looking over at Jack. Nothing's actually happening per se, but the suspense is building. The tension is building. Um, so I didn't agree with the idea, but I liked that he goes, he was like, next week, are we going to see Jeannie unpacking the chair that she ordered on? Online. <laughs> for some reason funny. that struck me pretty pretty funny <laughs> because it was like the chair mattered the chair was the physical representation of him having been in the house and the fact that he was going to be such a snot as to go out to the trash and actually sit on it like whatever you can't scare me and then he did get the wiggities then mm -mm. Well, that's ex that's when he called the therapist what, what do you think paul what was your take because i think the chair is actually an interesting thing that i didn't really I didn't really consider before, but that probably does play into it a lot. But I was curious what your thoughts on that were. What was what was Ralph's tipping point? Well, A, if any supernatural creature comes into my house and jizzes on the furniture, we're getting rid of that. 
no matter what it is. Agreed. Look at Paul <laughs> taking hot takes stances. I, I give you a lot of credit. You were a bold man, my friend. I will write that on the on the chalkboard of things we all agree in the family household. Stitch that shit on a pillow and put right. it on the couch. Right. Big people help little people, and if a supernatural thing jizzes on the furniture, we get rid of it. I like it. I like it. That's uh, yeah, that's called leadership, people. <laughs> right. It's called having boundaries. Paul okay? Daly, 2020, people. You have an option. <laughs> All right, so what, was it a person? Was it the chair? Was it just his own? Was it the layers of people? What was it? Maybe you're all right. Maybe I was projecting myself into Ralph. Oh, my God. Yeah, which, you know, I think a guy like me is supposed to do to some extent. Yeah, that's why I was identifying more with having my mind changed by especially Holly's beatdown. Uh, I like what Mike said, though, about the brothers in arms thing and him being kind of dismissive. Because you're right. He has been super dismissive of Jeannie. And I mean, the relationship between him and Jeannie is every episode goes a little further into defining it. Exactly. They seem to be like warm roommates at this point. Right. Yeah. There. There's a. There's it's not an, good, Bob. It's not good. There. There's <laughs> a population one. Of welcome to Ouchtown. Uh, but they, no, there definitely seems to be some emotional distance there since the since Derek's death. And I, I think a lot of the flashback stuff a couple weeks ago, especially when we saw her him in the bed when she's sleeping in bed, I think goes to that. And I think we see that. I think you're right. More and more, they are emotionally closed off from each other in like a marriage. It's, yeah, m- much more like roommates. It seems like. I guess falling in line with what she says makes some amount of sense given that. But the Holly stuff was really, she, no matter if you believe the ghost shit or not, she had a point about the information being withheld and her, you know, being put in danger quickly after that. So yeah, all that stuff would have been more like, ah, geez, I did kind of help do this. Well, and again, the layering, like think about like not just the people, but when he went in Jack's house and he saw all those bloody handprints like pulled along the walls and he said, I hope that's his blood, not hers. Like there was these layers of things that happened that made it like this is this is serious. Something is continuing to happen. Like you said, I just want this to stop. Like I don't want to walk into another house with like bloody streaks of handprints. I don't, I don't want to find another kid body. I don't want any of this. So whatever the fuck is going to end it, whether we got to say rosaries or whatever we have to do, let's just do it and stop trying to debate whether it makes sense. I'm actually glad you said that because I think that actually segues into another interesting part of the episode. Um, Ralph, Ralph goes to visit Tamika. And I, I want to talk about that scene because it made me think of Jeannie's imploring Ralph to just let this go and stop investigating it after Gooman visited her. It seems that Tamika is maybe taking that advice and she doesn't want to dip her toe in this water. One, what was the significance of her putting the baby inside and then coming back out and talking to Ralph? And two, why was she holding out on Ralph? Was she trying to protect Jack or was it she didn't want to get involved or something else that I'm not thinking of? I think as a mom... When you have a little one, and I know that was an infant, not not necessarily someone who's going to repeat your words or something. She puts the baby back in the house, closes the door, and the next line she says is, the fuck, Ralph? And it's the kind of move you would do where you might cover the kid's 
you know, ears with your hands before you do it. Or you might say, go play upstairs. And, and then the second you hear the door close, then you swear. To me, it was, a, it, was, it was a protective move where she knew she was about to get heated and she didn't want to be holding the baby and yelling and swearing and stuff like that. That's how I took it. There might be more to that. And then your next point about holding out, I think that because she wasn't there to hear Holly's explanation and all she had to go on was this idea of, you know, whether Jack had done something. I know she she obviously did hold out and I wish he had said one more sentence, the special sentence that Holly said to him, have you had any unusual dreams? Because that was the question that she needed to be asked. Really everything else he was just dancing around about whether Jack was a problem and did she know anything about Jack, but he didn't really ask the question that needed to be asked. Well, yeah. Does that make sense? I think he was using a police tactic on her because he was eavesdropping at the door when she's uh, talking to Jack. And she, she she hears the question. He heard the question that she asked him and then Jack's response. And then he wants her to give that up freely. And so he doesn't ask her. But he he's doing the thing where he knows the answers to the question he's asking. But you're right. He never actually asks the question, which allows her to not come forward with it. Which I guess is, you know, a sin of omission versus a sin of a lie. Yeah, what what do you think, Paul? Would you have a take on on how she acted in that whole scene? Only that it does seem that for whatever reason, she's more loyal to Jack than she is to Ralph. I, that was my takeaway too. I, I think at the end of the day, I think she was I think she was she's team Jack until told otherwise or shown otherwise and definitely seems to warm to him versus Ralph, which is, which is interesting from what the Jack we have known but again, like like Caroline brought up earlier, you know, Tamika knows all of Jack's baggage. She knows him better than uh, certainly we do. And when you think about the actual dialogue between them, think about the things that he said. He apologized for leaving the party early. He softened his voice when he talked to her. When she said, you know, what's going on? And he said, I, I don't want anything to happen to the baby. That's why I don't want to hold it. These are not things that um, then if Ralph comes along and says, so I think Jack is is trying to kill people, you know, that isn't your take on Jack. That's not the interactions Tamika has with Jack. She sees him genuinely hurting and struggling and saying, you know, I, I'm going to separate myself from an innocent little baby because I don't want anything bad to happen to it. Stuff like that. Why didn't she share that with Ralph? I mean, to me, that was pertinent to the exact questions he was asking. Like, what did you have in the conversation with Jack? Why she didn't share that stuff, I don't know. All I can figure is that the the whole warning, of course, the warning dream and everything just was like, we need to just let this whole thing go. And she didn't want to know any more information anyway. She wanted out. Moving off of Tamika and getting to another character who, who entered the world uninvited today, what did you guys think of Andy showing up? The scene with him packing you know getting ready and then showing up at her door they seem generally happy to see each other what was your whole take is this is this too soon is this guy the definition of coming on too strong or is he a welcome addition to to the fold i did not think it was odd that he showed up had he shown up purely as like moral support and backing for holly coming in and saying hey you guys if you haven't read up you know, on these stories, I really encourage you to, and I'm here to give Holly a big hug and be here for her. The scene that I actually thought was more odd was the scene where they were like sitting on the back porch in the chairs, and he is so eagerly trying to persuade, a la Jack style, Ralph to allow him to be part of the crew. All of that part seemed weird and out of place and not necessary. Like if he was there for Holly 
and about Holly's theory, then it seems so weird for him to go to Ralph and ask to be a part of the team. If you guys were coming to support me, if one of you guys showed up and you said, hey, I'm here to support you, Caroline, and then you went to the guy who least believed me and said you wanted to be on his team, I'd be like, fuck you and the horse you rode in on. Like, if (laughs) you're on my team... Get over here by me. You know, like, what are you even trying to do? I, I agree with you that that may be suspicious, but I would just offer up, and I don't know that I believe this, but I'll offer up as a counter view to that, that maybe he knows, and I think it's reasonable that he would know that Ralph is the holdout here, as you know, standing in the way, as Jeannie calls it in, the, in uh, the next scene, that he went out there to try and detective, again, brother in arm, working that angle. You know, I was a detective, a pretty good one, you know, and you need to get over your shit. Because, you know, girlfriend's onto something here and I'm willing to help out, you know, like I've been reading up on what she's, you know, the work she's been doing and doing my own research. So there's another angle there, I think, where he is being trying to be a supportive boyfriend, given the circumstance and the dynamic of uh, what's happening in Cherokee City. I'm going to go on record as saying that's not the way to help most women. Most women don't want you to circumvent them in a situation where Holly is trying to be the expert in the situation don't walk around me to go talk to somebody else on my behalf when i didn't like authorize or ask you to do that to it be undermines fair, holly you know in fair, a lot of ways i don't think any of the men of the outsider are particularly great role models for how to deal <laughs> they with they are women. not none of how y'all to deal with women treat- they- they None of y'all should treat people this way. <laughs> they should not be writing the book on women and no. how to deal with them. You know, it no. makes you wonder a little about what Stephen King thinks about women and and marriage <laughs> and how you talk to people and well, you know, if it's I, like if it's like it's comments on diversity, it's probably not great. <laughs> it's not. I mean, I don't know, Paul. Yeah, I know you've read a ton. I mean, does he does he often have his characters, his main characters, speak to their spouses or or dismiss women? No, not not as a rule. I mean, there are plenty of women victims in his books, but there's also plenty of strong women that come out on top one way or another, whether they have to kill the entire prom or not to, to get there. Ha, ha, ha. I, I was just, you know, in in this sort of like 20, I'm, I'm going to keep saying 2019 because I feel like even though it's 2020 that this show came out, it was really... I don't know, created in 2019. I, I think of the whole um, Christoph, you know, in Frozen 2 and the whole like, what do you need me to do? That's what Andy should have said to Holly, not go talk to Ralph. He should have looked at Holly and said, I'm here. I'm behind your plan. What do you, Holly, need me to do? Not, hey, Ralph, can I join your gang? Like, bleh. For those people, though, that, that believe that Andy is uh, a malignant force. Which I'm questioning still. Doing exactly what he did is the kind of shit you would do if you were a goo Jack was agent. Doing. It's what Jack was doing two weeks ago, you know, sitting on the porch. You know, I'm so sorry for being an asshole. Can I help with the investigation? I'll do anything you need me to, you know. Yep. It mirrored that conversation so much. And that is, again, why it worries me about what exactly is Andy up Maybe to? Maybe she hugged him so this? that she could touch his neck. <laughs> oh, I liked how she smiled, though. That was like a nice relief from that moment. It seemed like she was genuinely happy to see yeah. him. I really hope he doesn't turn out to be a bad guy because that's sad news. Did you have a take, Paul, uh, on – because I think we got on women are from Mars or men are from Mars, women are from Venus for a second there. But did you have a take on Andy showing up? Uh, odd, you're cool with it, makes sense, I mean, out I, of place. I, I'm probably going to be proved wrong that he is going to be like the, the Gooman's foreman or something. 
and he's checking up on his work. But I honestly think that he is a guy that is probably going to get killed and he just honestly likes Holly. And that's that's it. That's like it to his character. My, my take is kind of he, he that he let, he generally like Holly. I still go back to the little micro expression smile before he picked up the phone last week. Uh, that really resonated with me. But I also think he's just someone who's kind of whatever his reason for not being a detective anymore uh, and being a mall security guy. I, I think he's one of those people who just... You know, he has entered a real life game of Clue and he cannot resist inserting himself into the narrative a little bit. Uh, he, he does smell of prime red shirt bait for sure. If someone's going to be killed, he, he, he is now the logical choice for a character that we kind of care about, kind of don't care about, won't really be sad if he gets killed. But Holly cares about, and because we care about Holly, that will make it bad. Right. Which gives it even more poetic justice. It could, you know, someone that's not central if the show is to go on to a season two, but who would also be emotionally devastating for one of the core characters. I don't know. Andy, step up to the chopping block. I think you may be that, buddy. Let's talk about uh, Glory, because I think we have to. Uh, I'm really not digging this storyline. It just feels like it's spinning its wheels. Uh, Glory returns to work this week after only three weeks. Is that possible? Only three weeks since Terry, you know, was killed and, you know, goes to sell her first house and senses that the people she's showing the young couple uh, with child uh, that she's showing the house to know who she is. And uh, she loses the, you know, her shit on them and, you know, things go south from there. What, what was your take on Glory's uh, storyline this week and, and how it moved it forward, if it moved it forward at all? I think it did move it forward a little bit, but there were some moments that just made no damn sense. The portion where she calls Howie and we're mostly focused on Howie's office and he's like bitching about no one answering the phone and he picks up and he's gruff with her and they have that back and forth where they're like, he's like, hey, how you doing, kid? And she's like, not good. And he's like, okay, have you thought more about suing? And she's like, nope. And then they hang up. What the fuck? She called him. What was she calling for? <laughs> right. What even was that conversation? Right. Like, she he wasn't expecting her. Well, he, he wasn't <laughs> expecting her to call, and she was, I mean, no information passed between. It was so stupid. And it was unnecessary because later, when she calls Howie and says, let's sue, we all would have understood that without the setup phone call that he has to list off the people you could sue she could have just said, I, I want to sue the, you know, the city or whatever. And it would have been fine. So, so there were moments there that were really clunky. And I can say that because I really associate her with Nora on the, the leftovers, for all of you guys who love the, the leftovers, there are things that Nora does that are very similar to this where she tries to act normal for like a minute. And then when she gets the vibe that people know who she is and what's happened to her family, she wigs the fuck out on them. <laughs> That was this, you know, I feel like we really saw that. And um, I don't blame her, but, you know. Not to dump on millennials, but I thought it was a, a, a great commentary on millennial culture that they're suing her or thinking, contemplating suing her for emotional distress or bringing charges rather for emotional distress uh, because of her little verbal smackdown. I, that made me chuckle just because it was so ridiculous. Um, but what did you think, Paul? It's interesting you bring up the leftovers because I didn't make the connection until someone pointed out on Facebook, but now I know who Howie is in the leftovers pantheon. Yeah. He's God. He's God. He's David Burton. <laughs> right. <laughs> Crazy, huh? Yes. The glory story, I agree with everything that you've said so far, that that, that really 
like my attitude would have been, why haven't you started the suing process already? Because it's only been three weeks. Uh, you know, you, you would have thought Howie would have done some legwork, you know, assuming it was going to go there. But you could see from her after three weeks that she's barely getting her shit together. Caroline, the three- if I'm wrongly arrested <laughs> and then gunned down and killed, I want mm-hmm. you to get to work right away <laughs> okay. on this. After you get rid of the jizzed on furniture lawsuit mm-hmm. number two on the list <laughs> mm-hmm. i'll definitely be throwing out the ikea chairs and reordering it's going to be the paul daly memorial police station by the time you are done <laughs> you know i will um yeah i i agree with you guys i think that the only reason why you have to show her with the house business is again because they've tried to have that extra layer of how horrible society is to people who are not actually at fault in a situation like this. So they did it with the getting kicked out of school. They showed it by having the vandalism at the grave. Now for her to try to go back to work and she can't even go to work. I mean, they've done a consistent job of trying to remind you that it wasn't just Terry. You know, Glory's life is ruined as well, as well as her children. That's interesting though, because before she leaves for work that day, the kids say to her, aren't they going to be mean to you? And she's kind of like, yeah, you know, sometimes people are mean, but, you know, sometimes people are good, too. And they didn't say anything to her. You can imagine a situation, especially on TV, where people realize who is showing the house. And they're like, nah, not buying this house from, you know, wife of, you know, child molester, pedophile murderer. Um, But they just kind of stared at her. Like, if she had kept her shit together, she'd still have a job. She probably wouldn't have made the sale. But, I mean... There was a way that that played out. It wasn't like they were harassing her. It wasn't like they were throwing eggs or rotted fruit. They were a young couple having a baby, you know? Yes, were they staring at her? Sure. But, you know, I think that whole scene reflected much more poorly on Glory than it did on the couple. But I think her boss was probably right that three weeks is probably too soon, given this specific circumstance of what is happening to be going back to work. Is it fair to say about a character who's lost her husband in this way that I just don't like her? I've liked her up until last week's little crack in the armor where she allowed the idea that her husband did it and did the little bonfire pile. Up until then, I had actually been pretty pretty solid glory because I, I had liked and agreed with and it made sense how she had been acting that the back end of last week and then this episode i i did not this character turned me off big time see i'm gonna go back to the leftovers and i'm gonna go back to how much that show which is this is the leftovers for those of you guys who are listening to us who are new to us paul and i covered the leftovers as the very first show we ever covered that was like over like 200 and 50 some episodes ago because of how they addressed the idea of grief and how different people handle it and what they do and what triggers them and how they cope and so for me i didn't think that anything that glory did was out of the ordinary her trying to go back to a normal life did not seem odd her having the true need of having money and being able to put food on the table seemed realistic her thinking maybe I could go back and maybe people will be okay to me, especially thinking in theory, these people are from out of town. These aren't locals, right? So in theory, these are people from out of town wanting to move into town. And so maybe they don't know her story so much. Um, I know that's a leap, but 
you, if you're a glory, you think maybe there's people out there who don't know what happened to my family. But having seen Nora and seeing that character and watching her crack, you know, watching her have someone just give a side eye and have her like lose her shit. I mean, I thought that they played it pretty realistically to when you might really lose it. I agree with that. I think there is a lot of similarities between Nora, but I would say I dislike Nora for a lot of the beginning of The Leftovers <laughs> for the exact personality traits that she just dis- that Gloria displayed here today. I dislike Nora in The Leftovers for those same personality traits. And two, if putting food on the table is so important to your family, keep your shit together when they are not doing anything <laughs> to you. All they're doing is staring at you like some big-eyed goobers. Okay, maybe they're just dazzled by your presentation. Keep your shit together if your concern is your family. I'm just saying that's why I think she went back to work. I think that the the stress of actually being in it did prove to be too much. But her initial motivation of thinking like, well, the cupboards are bare. I really got to go to work. She didn't think through how bad it was going to be. But but I agree with you that Nora is equally a caustic character. She's somebody who definitely rubs most people the wrong way, especially near to the beginning. But I don't think that for me, she is someone who is like just like seeping with this sorrow and it, and it was like so utterly unfair what happened to her just out of nowhere you're just sitting at a baseball game and your whole life is ruined in like 10 seconds just like Nora same thing two seconds later everything's over for you I think that they are uncomfortable characters they are people who they're hard to like because they're so angry and they're so rage-filled but I don't think that they're unrealistic characters and how people deal with grief maybe i and i think you're right i i think a lot of that is right but i think i had been digging how glory had been handling it up until the uh, back end of last week though and I, I think that's what it is i feel like i feel like a some kind of switch has flipped with her and she seems much more truculent much more angry than she had you know previously and i preferred the the glory prior to that to to this one i guess i guess that's did, what i'm trying to say didn't you but, think that though that they did a good job of of building how she got here like she, you're right she was just like the cuddling mom with the babies on her lap for a while until she started questioning her husband's innocence until she couldn't figure out how the facts could say that he had not done it until Holly says we're searching for the boogeyman. Like they built the case for her to get angry, for her to get frustrated with the situation and Uh, go from the cuddling mama bear to like the fuck everybody. I guess in a real world sense, you could see where she would crack, but her husband, the way she has spoken about him previously, the, the way she glowed about what a good man he was, what a good father he was, what a good little league coach he was. All the time she spent talking about that to Jeannie, to everyone, to her own daughters, it broke my faith in humanity and and in and in her for her to show that crack in her loyalty to his memory when he's not there to defend it. Paul, do you remember when they replayed that scene and what we both caught there that I hadn't caught the first time or I hadn't? Do you remember that? Oh, when she when she opens up her mouth uh, after yeah. she says, um, "Do you think he did?" What it? if she killed that little boy? Yeah. And then she goes like, oh, "Like it, like it's it like sucks the air out of her to say it out loud." 
if they hadn't bothered to replay that for us at the right at the beginning as like a this is what happened last week or you know whatever i i would be on a hundred percent on your side in terms of like god she just went there with no remorse but that gasp that she actually says it aloud was really like primal you know i i thought it was really like she scared herself in saying it there, there, there. I mean, not to not to pull focus on the episode itself, but talk about the actual production of the episode. There were some weird editing choices in this episode. The abrupt scene to Holly in Ralph's house uh, comes to mind. Everything with Howie tonight, with the weird scene about not answering the phones and his life is so hectic, and then everyone's hanging up on him, which I found funny, but I thought it was kind of edited weird. And there were some just some odd choices that kept like very abrupt when you say that thing about holly about just showing up at the house do you mean like when when it's like the last thing we see is her like trying to get away in the car and the next thing we see she's standing in the dining room well is that the edit you're talking about because i was like wait she made it back to the house oh thank god well is that what you're thinking uh, no i'm well i'm talking about where uh she the last time we see her she's she had pulled over on the side of road and she was searching through the car for something after she escaped from jack at the at the uh, gas station. She's searching um, for her phone, right? Right. I, I presume that she was she was searching for her phone, but then we don't see her again. And then she's at Ralph's house, and uh, Howie's walking in. You know, the door was open, uh, and she's sitting there. And it was just very like, how did she get there? The last thing we saw was Ralph and Yoon were in the parking lot as the cops were showing up. Uh, and Yoon was going to, uh, you know, hang back. Was it Yoon or was it Alec? Was gonna, I think it was Alec. Was going to hang back and make sure the cops knew about the phone. Smash cut, Holly with Ralph, with Alec. Uh, how he's showing up. Is that his house? I thought it was just a weird edit. It No, it completely was. And it was an important. It was important, jarring to me. Like, it was important because the information was she got back safely. And that's what we had cared about for like 45 minutes of the show was, is she going to get away and get back to everyone safely? So it was a little anticlimactic to have her scouring the car for the phone. And then just like, like you said, she's just like standing in the dining room. I was like, oh, she made it out alive and safe. Just like that. (laughs) Good. Oh, good. There she is. Yeah, I I was. I think. The final scene of the show was her having a nightmare with the where it plays out differently and Jack gets to the car, opens it and shoots her and she wakes up screaming um, and then has that scream that takes us out of the episode. That that didn't strike me as a weird edit because I think that was her having a nightmare and waking up from it in Ralph's house that night. But there were just some weird jump cuts and I thought it was it was weird. Like there were scenes missing because they actually you, that's what made me think of this. You mentioned it felt like there were maybe some scenes missing, but the episode was really short. Also, the episode was only 48 minutes. Any reason? Did that strike you as weird? Like, uh, you said earlier that someone mentioned that you felt like the episode was short. It was short. It was 48 minutes. And I think all the episodes so far have come in between 56 and 58 minutes long. It did seem short. And I agree with you that there were parts to it that seemed well done in terms of the way things were shot. But then the editing was odd. So the thing that I catch all the time, and and now I want both you guys to look, and anyone who's listening, please look as well. I really like it how they frequently position the camera as if the camera is hiding behind something. So um, when she was in the bus station previously, it looked like the camera was like down in the seats, like looking back up at her from several rows away, like someone spying on her all the time. Or when they were in Ralph's backyard and Andy and Ralph were going to go sit down, the camera is like behind this little brick wall and it's like sneaking up on the men in the conversation. I like how they do that. I like how there's this sense of like, 
sneakiness and peeping around a corner all the time. I think that that's cool. But the edits, ooh, they've been harsh this this episode for if sure. It was, this is, this if was, it was my episode and I was the director and I was sitting there in the editing room with the editor, I would have done something similar and wound up with the same problem, which which would have been that the point of this episode is is the long car ride out to the barn, which doesn't go to the barn, and building the rest of the episode kind of off of that, and making that kind of be as like they did as as long as it as as you could probably stand it. But then once it's done, then there's not much story left to tell uh, for this episode. So maybe I mean that kind of makes sense of why the 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 other stories, especially Glory's story, is is not doesn't really it's just kind of plunked yeah. <laughs> in so do you think they should have made it like a bottle episode where it was just like them in the car and then holly safely back and then just sort of like that was the episode the episode was the the kidnapping and the and the i don't getaway. think you get bottle episodes in miniseries but yeah not when you're not when your production budget is probably close to unlimited as tv gets but i i, I think i think my point is just i would have been happy with Ralph picking up a call from someone on the other end and then saying to Alec, Holly's been found. She's, you know, getting a ride back to my house. We're going to meet there. Just a, a, a 10 second line would have completely saved me because again, I think the car ride was the drama. I think you're right. It was just so jarring the way they present because it was like they all teleported back to yeah, his house. Yeah, some transition. We didn't see anyone. You know, there was no, you know, there was no transition. It was just, you know, it was almost like like watching like an old German film. It's like, fight, swing, you know, and it was just, you know, it was really weird. Yeah, well, and there was other parts to that too. Like obviously with Jack, you know, it goes to his mental state that he kind of flashes in and flashes out with different scenes. But like when he hitchhikes with the truck and then he gets out at whatever that building is and then it cuts real fast and he's sitting across the road from the building looking at the building. I, I don't didn't know, know what, what that building, building was. Did I've he, been did, asking everyone if yeah. anyone could tell. And I get a lot of following. I'm following this comment. If anyone answers, I want to know too. Like a lot of following on Facebook and Twitter where people are trying to also find out. But the way that he's just, it's just cuts. And then he's just sitting across the road staring at it. And then it cuts and he's in the woods. And it just, it's just, I know that part of that is the, the instability of his mind. And he's just here. He's in and out. But yeah. I... Ah, for Holly, you're right. For the rest of that story, it just it felt odd. Uh, I did like that he smashed the phones finally when his time with Holly was up. Um, there, that was a nice moment because then now he didn't want to be tracked anymore. Like he didn't care when he thought maybe he was going to be able to get lulled into a confrontation that maybe he doesn't walk walk away from. But after that, you know, now he has to now he has to deal with El Cuco again, so he smashes the phones. I also like the whole scene in the woods when he loses his mind because he can't shoot himself when he sticks the gun in his mouth. And then almost, I don't know if you noticed, he almost involuntarily jerks, like, as to pull it back uh, out of his mouth instead of pulling the trigger. I thought it was a good bit of acting. Like he gagged on it, right? That's yeah, like El, like El Cuco almost grabbed his arm and, and mm. yanked it back out of him, out of his mouth a little bit. I just thought I thought it was some pretty good acting, but I, I thought it was an interesting scene about how he's not free to end his own life. You know, I think it just hammered home the idea that if if he's going to leave this earth, it's going to be by someone else's gun. Very the leftovers, huh? Mm. Very Kevin. Very you can't end your own life. 
uh, without the awesome uh, karaoke scene, obviously, though. <laughs> mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, but the show's you... not over. You don't know. There might That's be karaoke true. in our oh future. My, oh, my God. I would love some Cherokee City karaoke. What did you guys think of the significance of the bug that opened and almost closed the episode? The bug struggling on its back in the... Is, is that just Jack? Was there a deeper significance to that? Was it just a cool bug that they like watching writhe in the dirt for a little bit? I took it as as Jack's struggle, and I and I took it as when Holly says at one point explaining Jack and explaining how he's been taken over, and she says the very clear line: "The only way out is death." And with the Beatles, like you know, upside down, he's dying and he's struggling, but you know, there's the only way out for him is to die. There, you know, mm-hmm. that's how I took it. Yeah, symbolizing because we got morale. to the point of Jack actually laying on the ground. Oh, you're symbolizing Ralph, Paul? No, sorry, I'm not Ralph, Jack. Jack. Yeah. Um, yeah, because they actually show Jack lying on the ground at the end, basically writhing around. I mean, to some extent, Ralph isn't isn't dying, but he is squirming. He's writhing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the last person we need to talk about tonight is Claude, who I think had the most interesting scenes tonight in the coming attractions. I don't know if you guys stayed through to watch the coming attractions for next week, but... Maybe that's that's something that we shouldn't get into because that's part of next week's episode. Uh, but uh, what did you guys think of Claude? He's he gets his severance. You know, it looked like he was fired, but later on, the owner of the strip joint tells uh, tells Ralph uh, that he was that he quit. Um, either way, it seemed pretty amicable that he was leaving following last week's fight and slashing. What, what do we think is happening with Claude right now? Is Claude Claude? Is this Claude? Seems like he knew everyone. Seems like he was able to interact pretty personably which which would go against it being the goo man claude do we think goo man claude is out there we haven't seen him yet i don't think uh what was your take on claude and, and his his mini journey this week in the past episodes we've had these scenes with claude where the camera does some funny shit like gets kind of blurry and slow motiony when it's claude's pov and we didn't get any of that this week no, it was very bright and sunny, and Claude was smiling. He he seemed the most at peace he has seen, I, I think, in weeks. In a way, I wonder if it's that, you know, I absolutely took it that he quit, because when Lenny, the owner, is, like, giving him the, the envelope, and he's like, well, what are you going to do now? Like, all that was very, like, he put in his notice, you know, he quit. Um, because Lenny wasn't like, sayonara. He was like, well, wh- what are you going to do? Like, where are you going to go? Like, that's not something people say after they after they fire you. Um, but one thing that I thought was was a spotlight was when he says that he is giving him the envelope with money because whenever his mom would like drop him off someplace, this is Lenny, um, she always would like give, give him a couple bucks. He says the orphanage. I don't know that that's what is real, but that concept. But then when Claude says, well, you're lucky because there was never anything even in my envelope. It lets you know, like, I know we know that Claude's led a rough life, but that's a really rough life. You know, that he he feels like he's a little kid being left on the side of the road and his envelope doesn't even have anything in it. So when we go to that, why are individuals picked and who who is the most sad characters that we have in the pile here? Claude definitely was well framed there as like, see how bad his life has really been. Good point. Definitely good pickup. He definitely seems to check the boxes on broken. What what Holly calls, you know, he's attracted to the most grief 
And, you know, and she's talking to Drac and says, you're, you're just fucking overflowing with grief and pain and being broken. Uh, you know, definitely seems like from that conversation and other things that we know about Claude that he also fits. Well, just knowing from the first episode, knowing his rap sheet and what he's been through and his addictions and all those kinds of things. You know, he definitely seems to check the box. Let, let's do let's enter predictions as we're winding up this conversation. Do do we think Claude becomes is there a goo man Claude out there? Do we think or do you think, though, it didn't take this time that the the, the goo man cloning has been broken for this chain? Uh, what do we th- or and wider? What do we think is going to happen next week? I think in showing the adult man wearing a mask in the coming attractions, I think that the transition didn't take or didn't take properly, and so the face does not really look like Claude. But maybe the fingerprints are still good enough, or maybe the DNA is still good enough. But his actual familiar face isn't going to be good enough. So that to me is why he is probably wearing a mask because seriously i've been to a lot of like town carnival fair kind of situations people don't wear that shit it would have to have a really good reason to have those things on their faces um i know obviously the little kiddo same is wearing it but i think he probably you know convinces him to put it on or whatever i do think we're going to continue with claude and i'm i'm very crossed fingered that yoon has continued the trail on Claude and that he knows exactly where he is and he knows exactly what's going on when it's all happening. Let's talk about weird edits again, because that struck me as weird, Caroline, because we never hear anything that came of the Claude surveillance uh, after it was after it was such a prominently placed thing towards the end of last week. But then Yoon is handing the mugshot to, to Holly to see if she recognizes him. Uh, again, just struck me as kind of being abrupt. You know, we didn't hear anything more about what happened or came of the surveillance at all. And then he's handing. So obviously he's still in the Claude business. Did, did that strike you as weird that that or that we didn't get any follow up on the Yoon surveillance? And also, did you think the pictures of the sketch drawings were, were like looked anything like Claude? That surprised me. Holly staring at it over Jeannie's shoulder. That's part of that's a crux of her being mad at Ralph is that. The Claude photo that Yoon showed resembled the sketch drawings. I didn't see that resemblance, but I'm really bad at faces and and that kind of thing. So I was curious if if it struck you as looking similar to Claude. It did not. Those drawings are pretty crude, and they're showing kind of a deteriorating face. And so I didn't get the Claude nection there. That's a pun. I laughed, but I was on mute. I went. <laughs> I also like laughed out loud, but I also was on mute. That was a good pun. Good pun work. <laughs> right, come for the podcast day for the pun work. Earlier, when Ralph showed the picture of Claude to Holly, and she says, "No, this does not look familiar to me," but she paused. There was definitely hesitation, like she couldn't put her finger on it. Is how they describe it later. So then, when Yoon brings it back in. And is showing her again? Or was the picture just around at that point? And she said, why didn't you tell me this man had had a physical interaction with Terry? Like, why didn't you give me more information? So was it you that gave it to them? Or was the picture still out from when Ralph had been showing stuff? No, well, you just sitting at the table and asks if that person looked familiar to her. I thought that was Ralph who asked, No. No, I, think I, I can't remember. I this was from was, last I'm, episode. No, no, it was this, this was that was this was this episode, wasn't it? 
Yeah, because mm-hmm. Ralph was kind of off uh, several feet away when he got yelled at, whereas Holly and uh, Jeannie were at the table. Yeah, but this was the second time she saw the photo. The first time she saw the photo was the previous episode. And Ralph said, does this guy look familiar to you? Right. And Holly's like, no, I don't know who this is. And I think that that photo was probably in with in with the drawings that when Holly comes back and Jeannie and her are sitting at the table and Jeannie has all the papers on the table, she clearly had taken them all out. That's when Holly's like, why didn't you tell me that this guy had had a physical interaction with Terry that day? Am I making sense? Yeah. So I didn't think Yoon gave them the photo. I didn't think that that's how that came back into the fold. I thought it was probably stuck in that drawer with the with the drawings. Uh, that makes and more sense. That's what Jeannie got out. And, th- and that was the pissiness was like, what the fuck? Like, you asked me last night, Ralph, if I knew this guy, but you didn't give me any context of why he would matter to the situation, you know? Right. You That's know, why she was so mad at him. Not, you know, we, we, we don't really talk about the book here a lot. Um, and I think a bit on purpose, but one of the things Holly really harps on the most in the book is the puzzle piece analogy about how everyone has to have the same information available to be able to put the whole puzzle together. Um, she's got a phrase that I'm drawing a blank on what it is, but it's kind of like the left hand and the right hand need to talk to each other. That's essentially like a recurring theme for her. Um, when she, especially when she's off in Dayton and she's in, uh, and then comes back and she has to put the pieces together with what Ralph knows from his investigation. I like that they have really carried that forward into the TV character because it, for someone like Holly and her investigation style and skills, it really has always struck me as something that someone like her would really care about. Not being let in on all of the information when you're trying to solve this mystery. I really rings true to me that she would be upset by that. That So again, leading to her exploding today on Ralph or in this episode on Ralph was really part of that whole, we can't solve this mystery. No matter what you believe, we can't solve this mystery if you don't give us all of the information. Everyone has to have all of the information for this to work, no matter what you believe. Um, so I, I really like that dynamic that they've kept in the character and, and really have fleshed out, I think, in the TV show. And I think it's the key to having a, a solid horror or thriller show that actually feels like a payoff to the audience. The absolute worst shows are the ones where all they do is play keep away with the information and that anyone could have figured it out had the three main characters stood in the same room at the same time. So by having them often together, all of them, very close proximity, it is obnoxious that just Ralph, you know, continues to be the holdout. Not just on believing, but like you said, actually just like, like, why'd you put the pictures away, you ass? You know, like, come on. <laughs> Obviously, we're still looking into this. Well, I don't know. Would you guys have taken the pictures down? Was it too much to have it hanging in your dining it room? It was a dick move. It was a total dick move. It was cla- classic. And then he stares at Jeannie, who just stares silently back at him. Like, it was just like a like an ape move. Like, he pissed on a tree to mark his territory. Uh, it, I, was I think it was ugly. See, it that's was ugly. like that, lot, those little moments the within their their uh, marriage. That's a that, there's a moment. You know, she cared enough to tape those up there, and he's the one that took them down. That alone, the fact that she taped them on the wall and he took them down, that's enough for me to come flying across the room at you <laughs> and be like, I taped them up. They're not even yours to deal with. Like, what the fuck, you dick? Like, that's there's my reason- photo wall, you dick. 
There's a reason why old Italian grandmothers keep large wooden spoons and forks mounted to the wall. It's to beat their asshole husbands when they do shit like that. And, uh, you know, Jeannie oh could have benefited gosh. from that. So, I, you know, uh, I give her credit. I know that one of you guys said that she seemed annoyed. I think she seemed more than annoyed. I just think that her professional training, to me, probably teaches her to speak sternly to somebody without necessarily wigging fully out on the person. And so I think that when she looks at him and she's like, if you can't, you know, be helpful, then at least like, don't be an obstacle, like get out of the way. I think that that's not annoyance. I think that that's just like a controlled, but firm directive. I mean, yeah, she is trying to get him to, to, to change what he's, what he's doing. Uh, I mean, but just her approach hasn't, hasn't really amounted to anything just yet it's maybe a consequence of moving their their marriage into roommate status but you know why too though i mean and again like we can we can speak to this they have lived this this child tragedy that is something that while our children did not pass away they went through and still go through very difficult challenges in their life and i think that to me, they're more akin to, you know, a special needs family or, or of course, any family who's lost a child. I mean, most of those families do break up because they can't stand to deal with one another anymore. So I don't think it's just like, you know, indicative of what their marriage was before Derek's death. It could have been a great marriage. But, but the pain of dealing with each other and watching each other deal with the pain in their own way and being very judgy about that, which is, I think... The difference between those who survive and those who don't, those who survive let their spouse or their other family members grieve how they need to grieve. Those who don't make it is the one who's like wagging their finger like, well, you need to not be sleeping or you need to not, you know, like, fuck off. You know, we're all going to have our own sadnesses, you know? Yeah. I, I think I think Jeannie and her training and her job probably makes her a very sympathetic character. Someone someone who is willing to give people long long ropes, long fuses to to prove themselves. She probably is someone who has like a, an endless well of patience. I think to do that job and not get burnt out of it at after any length of time, you probably need that as a requirement. So, I think it says something very dramatic that she did finally lose her cool with her husband tonight that this woman who professionally has to listen to people give excuse after excuse after excuse about why they fuck up their life why they make poor decisions why they do the things they do that she would lose her cool kind of like holly who is someone who is you know for all intents and purpose you know vulcan like in her approach to life would lose her cool in such a uh, exasperated angry kind of way these are the two people who are probably hardest to bring that kind of emotion out. And Ralph did it to both of them in the same episode. I think it says something a lot about how he comes off to the world that he is operating in, that these two women uh, were brought that low, as it were. I think we're, we're basically uh, at the time's up moment for, for Ralph and his skepticism. That's my big prediction moving moving forward is that Next week will be the break when he somehow, some way admits that whether it's through action or words that he is starting to see that there's something bigger at play here. I'm going to go with the idea that he's not going to say it in words, but he is going to at least stop being such 
an obstructionist and at least will make sure that everyone has the information equally. And the moment of realizing that he put Holly in such danger and she could have been killed or worse, you know, really bad things could have happened to Holly. I think that you've got to have a moment of like, oh man, I got, I, I, I at least have to back off and not create situations where other people are going to get hurt. Does that make sense? On the heels of his decisions costing Terry his life. Absolutely, yes. You know, it, he he has to see that he is putting Holly on the same road that he put Terry Maitland in, which admittedly seems to be the one thing he really regrets up to this point about how everything has unfolded. I love how Yoon really pointed out to him how he said she's only been in town for like a hot minute and already something is trying to get rid of her. That's got to mean something. To me, that was like, yes, like way to point it out. This is perfect. Well, thanks you guys so much for listening this week. We hope you guys have enjoyed it. And if you guys have any feedback, please let us know. We want to hear what you guys are thinking. What theories are you coming up with? What theories are like the best ones going? If you're out there and you're listening and you've been following things on Facebook or Reddit or Twitter or wherever you are finding things, talking with your friends at the Starbucks, wherever you're finding info, bring it back and come discuss it with us because we want to know what's going on out there. This is Caroline with Daily Review. And this is Paul with Daily Review. And this is Mike from Pop Culture Review. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open and we'd love to hear from you. 